The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, We are starting a new sermon series in the book of Colossians. So, let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to the book of Colossians, and uh, you will find that on page 983 of a Bible in the pew rack, but open with me there to Colossians. You will notice that uh, you have an insert in your bulletin uh, that gives you the primary characters, people, places that we're going to be talking about this morning under this uh, first sermon in the series, Welcome to Colossae. So what I'm hoping to do is take us on a bit of a historical journey so that we can read the book of Colossians the way the Colossian Christians would have heard this letter written to them. So... Make sure you're there in the book of Colossians. You may also want to put a finger in the book of Philemon if you want to find that. It's just for the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in three different places in the New Testament this morning. So we're going to be moving around a bit. So you do want to have your Bible ready to go so we can look in those different places. Uh, But when we talk about the letter to the Colossians, it's because that there is a church in the city of Colossae and the Apostle Paul is sending them greetings and encouragements and instructions They would have received this letter and they would have been gathered together and they would have heard it read as they gathered. And I want you to think about the fact that that's what we do. We gather together and we hear the scriptures read to us. So our experience of receiving the book of Colossians is like that of the Colossian citizens. And I want to do a little bit more historical background work so that we can even hear these words with even more understanding. Now, to be sure, when Paul writes the letter to the Colossians, he's writing a letter to a particular group in a particular place, but as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is also addressing the church, not just in this particular place, but everywhere. And so, as we hear Paul's letter to the Colossians, it is just as much by God's own Spirit, the Lord's word to Edgington. As we are the people of God in this particular place gathered together and hear the word of the Lord, we are hearing God's holy word spoken to us. Uh, So, Paul writes to the Colossians and the Lord speaks to us. Now, I went back and checked the dates, uh, but I've only preached consecutively through one other letter of Paul, and that was back in the fall of 2015 to the summer of 2016 when we were in the book of Philippians. And many of you were here during that time, but that's the only other letter of Paul that we've ever done all the way through. So it's been a while. So what I want to do is, is, is help us understand why these Pauline letters are so unique and important as parts of the New Testament. And to do so, lay a bit of groundwork. Let me give you one more illustration of this, and then we'll, we'll pray and hear the text. Uh, many of you will know and completely comprehend the fact that when people think about a house with a foundation, you think about the foundation as being made of brick or stone or cement or rock. Uh, you can see the wall and think that is the foundation. But what you don't see and what is hopefully in place is the footing that actually holds up the foundation, right? That walls are built on spread footings dug beneath the frost line that bear the weight of the foundation so that the house can be built up. You don't see it, but it's there and it holds up the rest. 
Now, you didn't come for a contracting lesson, and many of you will roll your eyes at me because you've forgotten more than I know uh, about all of these things. Nevertheless, I want to use that as a metaphor for how we approach the book of Colossians because what I want us to do together is, in a sense, dig and pour the footing of the book of Colossians so that we can see how it is built up to appreciate the entirety of the structure. So in this first sermon, we will say, welcome to Colossae. So if you've got your Bible open there in Colossians, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Scriptures which You have so preserved through the centuries that we might have Your inspired Word to us. We pray now that as we begin this uh, series in the book of Colossians, that as the Apostle Paul so recorded these words to that particular church, that they would also be your words to us, that we might likewise hear and obey and receive encouragement and be built up in the faith and strengthened in our convictions and be corrected where we need it and be challenged where we need it and, Lord, see more of the glories of Jesus together because he is revealed to us here. So send your Spirit upon us, send your Spirit upon this congregation gathered in this place to receive with faith your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And now hear God's word from the book of Colossians and just just the salutation, the introduction. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And may He write its truth on our hearts. So, if you have your finger in Colossians, you also need one in Philemon. We'll eventually be going to the book of Acts as well. But before we go and jump around these various places, uh, I want you to kind of... Uh, travel with me in your mind back in history to the first century. Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. He ascended into heaven, and since that time, it's been about 30 years. So it's somewhere in the mid-50s to early 60s A.D., and the gospel has been advancing all over the known world. It even makes its way to a place called Colossae. Colossae, 600 years before the first century, was a thriving economic center exporting textiles and wool. The Persian king Xerxes during his Persian wars with Greece visited Colossae because of its economic prowess. But just like railroads and interstates have a way of both giving life to and killing towns, Colossae got the short end of a trade route in the third century B.C., And Colossae essentially dwindles down to a very, very small town. The trade route went through nearby Laodicea, skipped Colossae, and as a result, by the first century, the town of Colossae, which was once a booming economic center, is now, for most people, a fairly insignificant place known only to the people that live there. It's a town that will itself be eventually destroyed by an earthquake in the mid-60s A.D., Interestingly, I learned that Colossae still to this day has never been actually excavated, not even thought worthy to explore. But back to the first century, out in the outskirts of the town of Colossae, there are two men that are walking into the town 
about to pay a visit to a gathering of Christians who have been meeting in the home of a local businessman, and one of the men is carrying two letters from the Apostle Paul, and the content of these two letters from Paul that he's bringing to the town of Colossae is going to change the lives of the citizens of Colossae, is going to change the lives of generations of Christians, and the content of that letter changed my life when I was in college, and it's still changing lives today. So why would Paul care about the happenings of a small town in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and a small gathering of Christians meeting in a house that the rest of the world has forgotten about? What does Paul have to say to that group, and why does it matter to us? Well, to answer that, uh, I've provided in your uh, bulletin a handout what's called a dramatis personae, which is oftentimes happening in literature, uh, where you will have a list of primary characters and a summary of who they are, so that as you read through the story and you find yourself at any point going, wait a second, who is that? You can refer back to this as a primary index to say, oh yeah, that's who that guy is. And I provided that for you uh, in the bulletin today because we're going to lay the footing, as I said, for the book of Colossians to tell the story historically so that we can see how we got to a place where Paul is writing this letter and those two men were delivering it and what it all means. And these are the primary characters. So I, I, hope you, I hope you really enjoy this context because it really helps our understanding. So if you're in Colossians, stay there with a finger, but you need to turn left to the book of Acts. Go left to Acts chapter 19. The book of Acts tells the story of how the gospel advances into the known world, that what began at Jerusalem by the resurrection of Jesus advances into the known world from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The second half of the book of Acts tells how the gospel goes by way of the Apostle Paul into all the world. Acts 19, Paul's mission to the Gentiles took him all over the ancient world, and in particular on this third missionary journey that he takes, he comes in Acts chapter 19 to a place called Ephesus, the same Ephesus that bears the name of the letter to the Ephesians. So these letters are named for churches, Ephesians to the town of Ephesus and Colossians to the town of Colossae, but in Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. And as Paul comes to Ephesus, he encounters people there who had heard about John the Baptist and who were following in the ways of John the Baptist but had not yet come to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So Acts 19 verse 1 says this, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. That's the John of the John the Baptist who cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 4 says, And Paul said, John baptized them with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they, those disciples in Ephesus, were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. So, in the port city of Ephesus, in Asia Minor, there are 12 Christians now, plus the Apostle Paul. And what Paul does, so oftentimes in his missionary journeys, is he goes to the place where he can have the most influence. So, verse 8 says that Paul entered the synagogue, 
and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But the Bible tells us that, that Paul did not find a welcome in the Ephesian synagogue, that they were hostile toward him. Verse 9 says, But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, Paul withdrew from them and took the twelve disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, right there in Ephesus, the hall of Tyrannus is something like a public lecture hall where people could gather to hear traveling speakers come and give instruction or share a, a philosophy of some sorts. And Paul essentially takes up office hours for two years at the hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10 says, This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, that's a lot of people, to be sure. And Luke, writing Acts, is using something of a hyperbole, but he's basically saying, look, it doesn't matter if you were Jewish or Gentile, you heard the gospel. It didn't matter if you hung out in the synagogue or you hung out at the Hall of Tyrannus. If you lived in Asia, you heard the word of God through the Apostle Paul speaking of Jesus. Anyone who was in the city heard the name of Jesus. It was a time when you had no excuse not to hear the gospel. Nobody could not know, in other words. And we know from those residents from Ephesus who came to hear him, there were two men that came to Ephesus to hear Paul speak about Jesus who weren't from Ephesus. They were from another place called Colossae, which was just 100 miles away. One of the men is named Epaphras. He's a citizen of Colossae. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ under Paul's preaching in Ephesus. He is one of the Greek citizens of the larger area who hears this man talking about Jesus and a Messiah and a resurrection. And Epaphras says, I want to I hear more about that. And he's persuaded. And he comes to faith and believes. And then he goes back to his hometown of Colossae and then tells everybody there of what I heard from this guy Paul in Ephesus about Jesus and the resurrection and the forgiveness of sins. Epaphras goes from Colossae to Ephesus, back to Colossae to share his newfound faith in Christ. Another man that Paul encounters in Ephesus is a man named Philemon. He's also a citizen of Colossae, who is also himself probably a wealthy businessman there to do business in Ephesus, which was the primary port city of that region. Philemon was probably coming from Colossae to Ephesus to do business, and there he also heard the gospel under Paul's preaching. And then Philemon goes from Colossae to Ephesus to do business, goes back to Colossae, meets up with Epaphras, who's also talking about Jesus, and these two men are saying, this is great! This news about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, and we want to make sure everybody in Colossae hears about this. So Philemon says to Epaphras, hey bud, I'll host the church in my home. We can meet in my house. If you teach, I'll host. Deal. And the church of Colossae begins in Philemon's house with Epaphras' teaching. And so the church at Colossae begins. Did they know each other prior to this? We don't know that. But what we do know is that his excitement on both parts is so great, the ministry of the gospel begins in Colossae. So, Paul did not plant the church at Colossae. He's actually, as much as we know, never even been there. But through Paul's influence preaching in Ephesus, Colossae is revolutionized by way of Epaphras and Philemon. The fruit of the gospel advances to the town of Colossae, and that's how the gospel moves. 
as people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and then go and tell others. So, that's Acts chapter 19. Go back now to the book of Colossians. As we go back to the book of Colossians, what we find at the time of Colossians being written is that Paul is now in prison for his labors in the gospel. Oftentimes throughout his missionary journeys, Paul would get himself in all sorts of troubles with the local authorities as he would gather crowds and the crowds would come and they would be greatly stirred up and what quite frankly, it disturbed the peace. It caused unrest among the people because some people received it and some people really had no taste for it. And the local officials said basically, we don't care what you're saying, we just care that it's causing a disturbance, so you're going to jail. Or if he's going in particular places where there's a synagogue, the Jewish authorities take special issue with him. But at this time, Paul is in prison. Epaphras, the same man who came to Ephesus to be converted under Paul's ministry, eventually finds himself likewise in prison with Paul, most likely as a fellow prisoner uh, for the fruit of the gospel in his life and for the new church that's been meeting at Philemon's house. Look at Colossians 1, scan down to verse 7 and 8. Colossians 1, 7 and 8. Paul is writing to the church and says in verse 7, just as you, church, learned the faith, learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, beloved fellow servant, He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, Epaphras has been ministering the gospel in Colossae, ends up in prison with Paul, and then shares the report of the wonderful things that have been happening in Colossae. Shares the report of the church that's been meeting in Philemon's home. And Paul is wonderfully encouraged to see the fruit of his ministry in a place where he's never even been. So Paul decides to write a letter to this church that he's never been to, that he doesn't know the people at, to give them encouragement and instruction. He writes two letters, actually. And he puts them in the hands of a man named Tychicus. Skip ahead to chapter 4, Colossians 4, verse 7 and 8. Colossians 4, 7 and 8 says, verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul sends Tychicus from prison to Colossae with a letter. Not just one, but two letters. Tychicus is traveling with another man who is named in verse 9, Colossians 4 verse 9, Onesimus. So, do you remember outside the city there are two men coming up to Colossae? One of them is Tychicus, one of them is Onesimus. And as Tychicus and Onesimus approach the house of Philemon, where the church of Colossians is gathering, I imagine Tychicus turning to Onesimus and essentially saying, I'm going to go in. You wait out here. I'm going to read the first letter. I want you to wait. And then when I tell you, then I want you to come in and I'll read the second. And I imagine it happening like that for a very particular reason. I think it happened this way because Onesimus is the last person in the world that that gathering of Christians at Philemon's house would have expected to see. They would not have known Tychicus 
But because he came with a letter from Paul and they've heard of Paul, they would have gladly received Tychicus. Tychicus, tell us what Paul has to say. We're so glad to see you. Come on in. But they knew Onesimus. He's from Colossae, or at least he used to be. He used to be. Come with me now to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is on page 1,000. Tychicus comes to Colossae with Onesimus. Who is Onesimus? Onesimus is a runaway slave from Philemon's house. We don't know all the backstory, and so some of it requires us to fill in some of the details. But what we do know is that the church had been meeting in Philemon's house. And because Onesimus was employed in Philemon's house, that meant that Onesimus would have had to serve not only Philemon, but everyone in Philemon's house meaning the church that was meeting there. We don't know why, but we do know that at some point Onesimus chose to flee Philemon's house and along the way line his pockets with goods and cash from Philemon's house. Onesimus runs away from the church gathering and from Philemon's house. Whether he ran away because he didn't want to have to show hospitality to a group of Christians, to a faith that he didn't himself possess, whether he ran away because suddenly his master Philemon is a totally different person and he doesn't like hearing about this new man Jesus that he's following. The motivation for Onesimus running, we don't know. But what we do know is that he did run and on the way defrauded Philemon lining his pockets. And so he ran away from Philemon's house, ran away as far as he could get from Colossae. And as a runaway slave, one misstep leads to another. And Onesimus, the runaway slave, ends up in prison. And this is where you need to enjoy God's wonderful providence. The same prison that Onesimus ends up in is the same prison where the Apostle Paul is imprisoned. And they meet each other. And they listened to each other's stories. Onesimus wanted to get as far away from the church of God and as far away from the gospel as possible. He wanted to be rid of Philemon and his newfound Christian faith. And Onesimus ends up being chained next to the very person that is responsible for the church that he was fleeing. Do you follow that? Well... If Paul is not afraid to preach the gospel to the crowds of people all over Asia, you can guarantee that Paul is not afraid to preach the gospel to the person who is his cellmate. And so Paul expounds the gospel to Onesimus. Onesimus comes to embrace Christ by faith. Paul listens to Onesimus' story about running away from Philemon's house. And effectively, Paul says, I know that guy. I remember him. As it happens, Paul knows Philemon and his household because he's already written a letter to them. And he's going to send it with Tychicus. And just before Tychicus leaves, he says, wait a second, I'm going to write another letter. And I'm going to send two letters to the church at Colossae, and Tychicus is going to take them. And Onesimus, you're going to go with him. Now, the details about how Onesimus is loose from prison, we don't know. But what we do know is that Paul writes an additional letter to send with the first one, and Tychicus carries both letters, and Tychicus and Onesimus are headed to Colossae. That's why I assume that they arrive at Colossae, and Tychicus turns to Onesimus and says, Wait here. I'm going to read the first letter. And then after I read this letter, 
then I want you to come in. And the reason why he does that is because I imagine Philemon sitting in the front row of his own house at the church gathering, and then every jaw is going to drop because the guy who ran away defrauding me on the way out is back in my house. And Paul tells Philemon why in the book of Philemon. Look at Philemon verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow brother, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. That's the Colossian church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. This runaway slave ran away, met Paul in prison, is converted Paul embraces him as his own son, as it were, and is now writing to Philemon about Onesimus. He says in verse 11, Formerly he, Onesimus, was useless to you, Philemon, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Do you follow what's happening? Onesimus runs away from Philemon's house, meets Paul in prison, gets sent back to Philemon's house and the church at Colossae with a letter from Paul to all of them and says, This man who wronged you, this man who stole from you, this man who defrauded you, this man who probably spoke evil against you, he's back. But he's not his old self. He's come to Christ. He believes in Jesus by faith, just like you do. And he says to Philemon, Philemon, take him back. Take him back. Open up your arms, open up your heart, and receive him with no lashes and no scorn and no hatred and no animosity. Receive him with forgiveness. Why, Philemon? Because you have been received with forgiveness by Jesus Christ. So receive him as you have been received by Jesus. Onesimus has become a Christian, and this incredible drama in the Bible, which I, like I say this all the time, the Bible's not boring. It's wonderfully true and living and active. And this incredible story of Epaphras' faith and Philemon's house and the Colossian church and the runaway slave Onesimus is all the background to the ministry of the gospel at Colossae that Paul is writing about. So why does that matter? I can think of several things, but let me just... Let me just emphasize one here because there's going to be a lot that comes out in the book of Colossians that's beautiful and true and helpful. Just like the Colossian church 
who received a spiritual inheritance from a man that they never actually even met, the Apostle Paul, you and I are benefactors of a spiritual heritage from people that we have never met. People that we don't even know. You and I as Christian believers in our generation are the benefactors of a spiritual heritage that other people have produced for us and other people produced for them. The Colossians never met Paul. And they owe their lives to him. They owe their faith to him. They owe their knowledge of the Gospel to a man that they've never even met. Paul will say elsewhere in the New Testament about the ministry of the Gospel, some people plant the seed, other people water the seed, but God is the one who brings the harvest. The work of the Gospel goes about and everybody has their hands on it in different ways, but it's to no one individual person's credit because God is the one at work in the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Different people, different places, same Christ, same Gospel. Your life and mine is a heritage of faith from different people in different places, even ones we don't know and haven't met from the people who came to the frontier of a place that wasn't even called Edgington yet, later to be called Edgington, to plant a church because worship on the Lord's Day mattered to them. And you're here because of them. Isn't that that's something? That matters. That matters really deeply, actually. Because this is how Christ's kingdom advances. They are the spiritual progenitors of the kingdom of Christ in your life. They pass it to you. You must realize that you are the spiritual progenitor of the kingdom of God in somebody else's life. You think about that? That if the Lord tarries, there will be people here that you and I will never know that will be here because you were faithful in your time. There will be people in successive generations who know the name of Jesus because there was a people in this community who said the name of Jesus must be known. God's Word must be taught. His name must be worshipped. That matters. And the Colossian Christians have a heritage from ones they've never even met. You and I do likewise. And Lord willing, there may be another generation and another and another who know the name of Jesus because we, in humility but with sincerity, said the name of Jesus must be known. Families in communities, that matters. So Paul writes this letter to that community. An otherwise small community forgotten by many people and most people who lived outside of it didn't care about the happenings in it. But the ministry of the Gospel was powerful there because the people said the name of Jesus must be known. So the book of Colossians is going to be all about Paul saying to the church, Christ must be known amongst you. And encouraging them about what that looks like as they live their lives, as they live in relationships, as they go through struggles, as they face ordinary life, how Christ must be preeminent in all things. That's what the book of Colossians is about. I'm thrilled to do it together so that in our generation we can say the name of Jesus must be known in our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Scriptures and we thank You for the way Your Spirit carries 
the kingdom abroad and advances it from generation to generation. While it's certainly true that there are many that we don't know, how conscious we are of the saints that we do know, whom we have shared pews with and declared your praise here in this place, but who are no longer with us. And their, their faithfulness is a continuing witness to us, though. And so we pray that we in our generation might likewise be faithful. So we ask now, Lord, that you would bless our church, which is your church, that we might be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ, and that the name of Jesus might be known more deeply, more sincerely, because we have lived here with sincerity. So, Lord, bless this to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.